Welcome to the Simply Financial Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Calandra. Uh, welcome to today's 2021 mid-year economic update. I want to first talk a little bit about today's agenda, which is pretty straightforward. We're going to cover a little bit about the equity markets, heavily emphasize what's happening in the economy, some causes for optimism, some reasons to worry, uh, review a few economic review topics covering things like inflation, the real estate market, corporate earnings, historical expansions. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I want to keep this very close to a half hour to be respectful of everyone's time. We do have quite a bit to go through. So what I would like you to do, everybody is on mute, but you could put questions in chat and I will address those at the end of the presentation uh, if time allows and if people want to hang around longer than 30 minutes, but just wanted to kind of set that expectation. As I usually do with these presentations, I want to start by talking about the five key areas of financial planning. They are preservation planning, retirement planning, tax planning, estate planning, and investment planning. And today we're going to talk more about the markets and the economy, but I want to emphasize that when we're working with clients and we're looking to make good decisions, we are not only going to look at one of these areas, but all of these areas to try and find the best solutions and make the best decisions available to us. So please keep that in mind. The equity market, uh, the bull market is marching on. Uh, technically, the bull market started uh, last spring. Uh, we had a long-standing bull market prior to the pandemic. Then with the deep sell-off last year, we started a new bull market, and it is in full strength, and it seems to be in good shape. We're going to talk about some of these factors today, but as of uh, today's presentation, it's still pretty routine where major market indexes like the S&P 500 and the Dow are hitting new highs. So we are in a bull market. I want to talk about some causes for optimism. Uh, those of you that uh, joined me on this presentation in January, uh, I set it up this way and I really liked it. And some of the items are new and some are a repeat of what was talked about in January. But I want to start with the power of optimism itself because it seems to me that Americans, despite what you see in the media, are optimistic and they are anxious and are getting back to their normal lives and they feel by and large good about their financial prospects. This is a generalization. Of course, there are cities, states, communities, people, industries that have been left behind. But I think generally speaking, there's a lot of optimism. And the optimistic part of the optimism, if that makes sense, is that it could be a self-fulfilling prophecy. People are expecting good things. And I believe if you expect good things, you're likely to get good things. The second cause for optimism is the vaccine rollout seems to have stamped out the pandemic. Now, I know I might get some pushback on that because there are still risks with the pandemic, 
and we don't know what's going to happen. We have these variants that I have read about. But for the purposes of today's call, and we're looking at the economy and the markets and the state of finances, uh, the reality is, is that the overwhelming majority of locales in this country are open. The United States is open for business, and there are very little restrictions, and that is cause for optimism because the economy, businesses, and people can move ahead more easily than we were able to do when we were in a more restrictive economic environment given the severity of last year's pandemic. Pent-up demand is being unleashed. This is one of the items that I talked about in January, and the thesis was that as the pandemic got into the rearview mirror, as it kind of got wrestled under control, that there was a lot of pent-up demand uh, that would come into play. And that pent-up demand is being unleashed. We see a lot of economic activity as people want to get back to their normal lives, whether it's traveling, eating out, visiting friends, going to ball games, all of those different things, this pent-up demand is being unleashed and it is doing wonders for the U.S. economy and I think that is likely to continue. The government and the Federal Reserve, the Fed, has put a lot of money into the hands of Americans. The reaction by the government, like is usually done in emergency situations was to put a lot of money on the street. And that is exactly what the government and the Fed did last year and has continued to do so this year. So they've put a lot of money into the hands of Americans to help all of us negotiate through this difficult period. And that has done a lot of good. And we could, we could debate and we could pick up uh, different areas where maybe it worked, maybe it didn't, uh, was it targeted enough. Those are good conversations to have, but the reality is there's been a lot of money put into play. We're going to talk about some of the negative or potentially negative consequences of this in a few slides, uh, but by putting that much money into the hands of Americans, that money is being deployed. Some of it's making its way into the stock market, and that's helping to bolster stock market prices, uh, and in other instances, that money is being used for spending, which is helping corporate earnings. Uh, so there's an optimistic bent about all of this money that's floating around in the United States today. We'll talk more about that as we go along. It's important to note also that the Federal Reserve is accommodating. When I say accommodating, I mean that they intend to keep rates low, interest rates are going to stay low according to the Federal Reserve for quite a while. And that is cause for optimism because generally speaking, low interest rates are thought to be uh, a good stimulus for an economy. Speaking of the economy, the economic recovery that was anticipated way back in the spring of last year while the pandemic was still out of control and restrictions were still pretty severe, the thesis was that on the other side of the pandemic, we would have a strong economic recovery, and that recovery would last for a while. Well, I can say today that it seems like that economic recovery thesis was accurate, and the economic recovery appears to have taken hold. We are in the midst of some pretty good economic growth. It's not perfect. It's uneven. There are still flaws in the U.S. economy. There's things that we could pick on, but
But generally speaking, we're in the midst, it seems to me, of a strong economic recovery. Part of that economic recovery is due to strong corporate earnings. Corporations, U.S. corporations are healthy, and they got healthier faster than a lot of people anticipated, and corporate earnings have been pretty strong. I'll touch on that a little bit more in a couple of slides. The last optimistic item I want to talk about is history rhyming. Now, a lot of you, I look at uh, all the people who are on the call, uh, I recognize a lot of names, and uh, there's a lot of familiarity. So you probably know that in addition to being a finance geek, I am also a history geek. And I think back to, to 1914 to 1918 was the first world war, World War One, of which the United States participated. Towards the end of World War One, we had the Spanish flu that was the last time the country and the world had to deal with a nasty pandemic. And in thinking about that period, you had the war, the pandemic, that gave way to what's called the Roaring Twenties. The 1920s were a period of incredible growth and prosperity for the United States. And I think about today, it's often said that history rhymes. We had the War on Terror that lasted beginning with the September 11th, 2001 attacks. It's very unclear when it started, when it ended. Uh, but if you use September 11th as the starting point, uh, I'm not sure exactly when it ended. Maybe it was when Osama bin Laden was uh, taken out by U.S. forces several years back. Maybe it was uh, more recently with uh, President Trump's administration taking out that uh, Iranian terrorist. Uh, it's unclear when it ended, but it does seem like it's wound down. It's not in the public discourse much at all, hopefully. The powers that be are being vigilant because, of course, there's danger out there. But it seems to me that the war on terror, including our departure from Afghanistan, is a sign that that war is kind of over. And so we have the pandemic. Seems like it's been wrestled under control now. There are still risks. But uh, the optimistic note would be, is history going to rhyme? And are we going to enter into a period of prosperity, something akin to the Roaring Twenties? I think that's a great thought. Hopefully you feel the same way. I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but I don't think it's that far-fetched. Now, on the other side of the ledger, I wanted to touch on some of the reasons to worry. I think one of the key ones is on the public policy front. Can policymakers at the federal level as well as at the state and local level, can they employ the right policies as the country steps back from the emergency footing that we were on, appropriately so, last year into this year? And so a lot of things were done because it was an emergency. But now we're kind of transitioning out of that emergency. And so some of the things we did during the emergency we're going to want to pull back but we're going to need good public policy because things in many ways are different now. And balancing the different needs that are required during this transition from emergency to new normal, I think is a little tricky. I, for one, do not have a ton of confidence in our politicians, generally speaking. So I'm always a little worried 
uh, as to whether they will make enough of the right decisions. Uh, related is the worry that maybe we have potentially stubborn unemployment rates. Uh, the U.S. economy was marvelous at creating jobs after the Great Recession back in 2008. Beginning under President Obama's administration, continuing under President Trump's administration, the U.S. created jobs month after month after month for a very long time. It was like 10 years, month over month, job gains. Unemployment rate got incredibly low by historic standards. Then we had the pandemic. Then we had an amazing spike of unemployment. Of course, you know this. And then, as the country reacted to the pandemic, unemployment uh, rates began to come down. Uh, but they're still a little stubbornly high, and it's still early in the game. But I think one of the areas of worry is, can the U.S. go back to effectively creating jobs that's good for Americans, it's good for the country as a whole, and it's a powerful aspect of the economy, which will all tend to help the markets. As with any recovery, uh, I think it's taken hold, as I said before, but it could still be derailed. It could be derailed by any number of reasons. Uh, return of the pandemic, uh, mistakes at the public policy level. Uh, if unemployment uh, is stubbornly high, that would be a headwind to a recovery. There's always the risk that some external event happens, a terrorist attack, war breaks out, some event that you can't really plan for. So you could always worry about that. Back in January, and I think many of you listened to the January economic update, I talked about stock market valuation. And I made the point that valuations of the stock market were stretched. Uh, they were high by historical norms. And history told us that those higher stretched valuations tend not to last for a very, very long time. And so it was something that I wanted to watch. But I will say to you today, it's still an area of concern, but it subsided quite a bit. And we'll talk about this in uh, a slide or two. But suffice to say that some of the concern about that is not as great as it was in January because corporate earnings have been better than expected. But the stock market still is not cheap. It's still at the higher end of valuations. It's just not as stretched as it was in January. And the last of the worries I want to talk about is inflation. And you're starting to see some of this talked about in the public domain, in the news. Politicians, including those at the White House as well as the Fed, have commented on that. But that's a reason to worry. We have been in a non-inflation environment for a very, very long time. And there is the risk that we have entered into or are on the cusp of entering into a new phase where we have a greater amount of inflation than we have had in a long time. That would be problematic and it would require quite a bit of adjustments. I have a slide that talks about inflation in greater detail, so I'll double back to that. At this point, I just want to talk about the Federal Reserve quickly before moving on. As I mentioned, the Federal Reserve, along with the federal government, they've added a lot of stimulus to the economy. And they have pledged to keep interest rates low through 2023. So we're in this historically low interest rate environment where you have interest rates close to zero. 
you could see from the graphic money rates are incredibly low and you probably know this from real life experience if you have money in the bank you're hardly getting any interest I was with uh, actually a potentially a potential new client yesterday and they had over one million dollars in the bank account from the sale of a business and last month they earned a hundred and eleven dollars or so on that money in the month uh, it's really incredible that this is where we find ourselves with interest rates and bank rates but the reality is based on what the Federal Reserve's public position is that will continue at least through 2023 of course that could change something could get them off of this trajectory but it would have to be something pretty significant this is a slide that I uh, sort of alluded to earlier uh, there is a strong earnings rebound in stocks that probably began in the latter part of last year but has gained a lot of strength here in 2021 and it may allow stocks to grow into those elevated valuations I talked about when we covered some of the worries I think part of this is US businesses achieved a lot of cost efficiencies during the pandemic and we, US businesses I think generally were pretty lean well-run uh, and the pandemic I think only improved on that and these efficiencies by and large may persist and that is helping corporate earnings as well as that pent-up demand I spoke about getting unleashed where consumers are out there spending money doing things creating a lot of economic activity but this earnings rebound may very well continue and if the earnings rebound continues that could signify that the stock market has more gains left to go I also I think alluded to this slide a little bit but from a historical perspective again I'm a history geek uh, we have a new expansion that started last year in the aftermath of the big sell-off uh, the big sell-off and the economic decline due to the pandemic last year and so we're probably a little less than a year into this new expansion uh, again historically the average expansion in the US is 5.3 years as you look at this graphic there are times that it's shorter two years in 1958 one year in 1980 but the average is 5.3 years and that gives a hint that there very likely could be I'm hedging myself of course that we have more years to go in this expansion it seems to me that a lot of people are pessimistic and I could appreciate that and they're thinking that the other shoe is set to drop any moment and that could happen I would not discount that possibility but I think that the better side of the argument at this point is that we have more room to go uh, with the earnings I just spoke about and the pent-up demand and some of the other reasons for optimism you know maybe we could get closer or even beyond the average length of expansion that the US has experienced since World War II that would be great as an example you had 8.8 .8 year expansion in the early 60s 10 years in 1991 10 years in 2009 after the Great Recession uh, was over so that's further cause for optimism and I find this to be plausible I really do 
I said I would circle back to inflation fears, and I wanted to do that on this slide. So there's an economic principle of supply and demand. And this rule, supply and demand, applies to money also. So supply and demand, you probably know, but just to make sure we're all on the same page, is if you have uh, too little supply and too much demand of something, then you would expect prices to go up. And contrary to that, or the, the other side of that coin, I should say, is if you have too much supply and too little demand for a good of service, you would expect that price to decline. And inflation is classically defined as too much money chasing too few goods. So what we have going on now is the money supply has been growing between 22 and 31% each month, year over year, since April 2020. So YOY is year over year. So if we look at April 2020 to May 2020, and then, did I say that right? April 2020 to April 2021, May of 2020 compared to May of 2021, we see the money supply has been increasing by unprecedented amounts. This is what I talked about earlier about the federal government and the Federal Reserve putting a lot of money out on the street. Uh, there's a lot of money sloshing around. To that point, to put some perspective on it, if you had four $1 bills in your wallet or in your purse, four $1 bills, one of those $1 bills didn't exist a year ago. The money supply has increased by probably around 25% over the last year. Some estimates put it as much as 33%. Uh, but in either instance, it's unprecedented amount of money that's been pumped into the system. So if you have supply and demand at work and you have the definition of inflation, too much money chasing too few goods, you might expect that you would begin to see some inflation given the increase in the money supply. And what we have is headline inflation in May, year over year, was up 5%. That is the fastest pace since August 2008. So that caught my attention because, yikes, August 2008 was right before the financial crisis crippled the U.S. economy. Now, I don't know if it's an exact corollary, but that caught my attention. Core inflation is up 3.8% year over year uh, in May. That's the fastest pace since 1992. Let's just talk about the difference between headline and core. Uh, core inflation excludes items that are deemed to be more volatile and kind of mess up the trend graphs. Those are things most notably including food and energy. Uh, so headline inflation includes a larger basket of goods and services, and core inflation excludes energy and food. But you're starting to see the early signs, perhaps, that will have some inflation. It's worth noting that increasing used car prices were a big factor in this. I also want to note, and this is key, is that the Federal Reserve has described the inflation numbers as transitory. Their view is that, yes, we're going to get some inflation, but it's transitory or temporary, that it is the culmination of that pent-up demand getting unleashed, and we have some supply chain stresses that will probably eventually get worked through. 
it's not just the Federal Reserve talking about this being transitory. The White House is also on record of using that kind of language. I think the jury is still out as to whether it will be transitory or not. Uh, there's a very good case to be made that they're correct, but I think that there is a good argument, too, that maybe it won't be. And if it's not, there'll be consequences to that that we want to pay attention to, and we will. When you kind of put this together, the supply-demand, too much money chasing too few goods, and you think about this headline, core inflation, think about the shortages you see in your daily life. If you have a pool, it's hard to get chlorine. Uh, there's a shortage of microchips. Uh, many automakers have had to slow their production runs of new cars because of a shortage of microchips. Micro uh, raw goods, there's a shortage of those, things like steel. So think about that when you hear people talk about what's happening in the economy, things that you hear in the news or read in the news. Think about these shortages that you see in your daily life. Also think about the increased prices you see in your daily life. I know uh, core inflation doesn't include food and energy, but if you go to the grocery store, you know that food prices have jumped a lot. And it's not just one area or another area. It's almost everything in the grocery store has gone up in price. Energy, I think gas prices are up about 30% since January 1st. Um, that's a lot of price increase. But it's not just food and energy. I think you see price increases in used cars, as I said. Timber, uh, the value of your home has increased quite a bit. There's a lot of price increases that are going on that are observable in our daily lives. And when you observe those, at least think about those a little bit in reference to this inflation topic that is important today and may become even more important if the Federal Reserve turns out to be incorrect and it turns out not to be so transitory. I just wanted to take a few minutes because this is a topic that affects pretty much all of us. Uh, the four drivers of the 2021 real estate market, uh, some of them we've already touched on, but I want to kind of put them in frame of reference to real estate. Uh, this money supply expansion that I talked about, this has had an effect in real estate because there's so much money sloshing around that some of it's being spent, some of it's being invested in the stock market, but a fair amount of it is being used to buy and improve properties. Some of this money that's sloshing around is going into real estate, and that's helping to drive real estate prices higher. Additionally, we have limited housing supply. There is a lack of equilibrium. There's too few houses for sale and many, many more buyers that are looking to buy and are aggressively buying. The thing about this limited housing supply is that this did not just happen with the pandemic. According to some great research I read from First Trust and their chief economist, Brian Westbury, uh, the United States has been building 1.25 million homes roughly each year. But their estimate is that you need to create 1.5 million homes per year. And we haven't done 1.5 new homes since 2006. So it seems to me this limited housing supply was building and building and building. Uh, and then with the pandemic and all the other crazy factors that came into play, it created this unbelievable circumstance we find ourselves in where we have very little supply 
and a lot of demands. And that's a key driver. Another key driver is the stay-at-home economy. People were home more during the pandemic, worked more, traveled less. You all know what happened. But people made the decision to invest in their homes, uh, improve their home office, build a nicer patio, uh, all the different things. There's just been a lot of money put into improving properties, and that helped drive value higher. And I think people have been smart, and they decided that it was a good place to put money and that's helping drive the values higher because so far if you put money into the home you probably got a pretty good return on that home given the crazy increasing uh, increase in prices we've seen over the last 12-15 months and then the last of the four drivers is the low interest rates we already talked about that but the reality is if you wanted to borrow uh, to buy a home today uh, it's very cheap mortgage rates are very low and so your buying power is greater. And I think that a lot of people are viewing things such that, why don't I buy a house, buy a bigger house, buy a second home, buy a vacation home, buy an investment property, uh, build a home. All of those different things is partly fueled and driven by the fact that it's cheap money out there and interest rates are very low. I think these are four key drivers. And the thing that's notable about these drivers is that I don't necessarily see any four of the any one of these four things changing anytime soon. Uh, the money supply I think will stay very robust. This uh, shortage of inventory I think will persist. The stay-at-home economy I don't think we'll ever go back to where it was before the pandemic. It'll change some, but generally speaking, I think that'll continue to have an impact. I think the world has changed, and as I said a previous. Uh, couple of slides ago, low interest rates are slated to stay low through 2023, according to the Fed. So we here at Elliott Wealth Management would love to be introduced to other people that would be interested in talking to us on how we might be able to work together. So much has changed over the last year, so that if you know of anybody that you care about uh, that you believe might be interested in a second opinion, help with their planning, maybe want a fresh perspective, please keep us in mind. So before I get to uh, maybe some questions, uh, I want to just let all of you know and emphasize that your health and your well-being is our highest priority. I and the rest of the team here at Elliott Wealth Management, we appreciate the opportunity to help you with your financial needs. We are always planning for your success together and I appreciate the confidence that you place in us. So that is the end of the formal presentation. I think I was at 31 minutes, which I think is pretty good. I'm going to pat myself on the back. So there are a few questions which I will cover, but for those of you who are in attendance, if you want to bounce off at this point, uh, I no harm done if you want to sign off, but um, I will spend a few minutes and cover at least a couple of questions. If there's something that you want to cover with me, uh, not part of this presentation, feel free to call the office or email me, and um, we could cover that. One of the questions um, that I want to touch on is, some of the too few goods are due to shortages capping, catching up from COVID shutdowns. Yes, that is a good point. I gave it kind of short shrift because I, I think I used the term that supply lines are... Uh, stressed 
part of the reasons why they're stressed is that businesses and the economy were not sure how much to ramp up given all of the uncertainties revolving around the pandemic and the related shortages. So in some instances, they um, got very lean in their inventories and their supplies, and now they're trying to ramp up really fast. But it seems like everybody's trying to do it at the same time, and it's really making logistics quite difficult. Another factor in this is that some economies around the world are still having bigger problems with the pandemic than we are, and that's adding more strain to the system. And a good example of, of this point, um, and thank you, Sue, for that, is uh, rental cars. If you look at rental car prices, in some instances, the prices are astronomical. And a big part of that is that they didn't, they didn't add to their inventory. They played it safe. They were conservative. Hard to argue with that. But now with this snapback and people wanting to travel and get back out there, they weren't quite ready. And so you have shortages of rental cars and that's driven prices higher. That's a good example of some of the shortages. You know, that'll get caught up over time. The supply chain will uh, react and react well. It's a pretty robust economic system, the logistics that we have, the supply chain. So that'll work itself out, but in the interim, it's creating some trouble. Uh, the other question that I, I just wanted to touch on is the uh, tax issue, which has kind of died down a bit recently. Uh, there's, a, there's a tax proposal out there, but it seems like it's lost some of its early steam. A few months ago, I would have handicapped that the likelihood we got significant tax legislation was very high. Now I'm not so sure, but the question that I often get is if we get big tax increases or quote unquote massive tax increases, will that swamp the market? I didn't think so a few months ago when I thought the likelihood was high. I don't think so today. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. The devil, of course, will be in the details. But generally speaking, tax increases tend not to ruin the stock market all by themselves. I guess it could, but I think if it happened, it would be more in combination with some other worrisome factors. So why don't I leave it there? We're about 35 minutes into the presentation. Again, thank you everybody for listening today. Please let me know if there's anything I could do for you and enjoy the rest of the day and the rest of your summer. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of Sage Point Financial Incorporated and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Please note, the information being provided is strictly as a courtesy. When you link to any of the websites provided here, you are leaving this website. We make no representation as to the completeness or accuracy of the information provided at these websites, nor is the company liable for any direct or indirect technical or system issues or any consequences arising out of your access to your use of third-party technologies websites, information, and programs made available through this website. When you access one of these websites, you are leaving our website and assume total responsibility and risk for your use of the websites you are linking to. Securities and advisory services are offered through Sage Point Financial Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, insurance services offered through Elliott Wealth Management, LLC, not affiliated with Sage Point Financial.